You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. most important documents in American history has been the subject of surprisingly few books. The proclamation, according to some historians, however, did not free a single slave. That was accomplished by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. And that amendment has been the subject of only one modern study, a book called Final Freedom, Civil War, the Abolition of Slavery, and the 13th Amendment. That book's author, Michael Vorenberg joins us today on Civil War Talk Radio. Are you a busy event planner, an auction chair, or development coordinator? Well, AuctionHelp.com is designed for you. Find out why hundreds of nonprofit organizations just like yours have chosen AuctionHelp.com to take the stress out of the benefit auction process. Hi, I'm Russ Dalnack, professional auctioneer, and I'm also someone who can help you coordinate your next auction. That's right. We have a special staff of auction management experts to give you that auctioneer to, to get the right person behind the microphone that will encourage your guests to be generous. We can also meet with your auction committee throughout the whole planning process. We're going to give you helpful hints that could add as much as 25% to next year's totals. We're going to train and monitor your auction volunteers the night of the event. We're going to help you run your auction, including the registration, the data entry, the filing, the cashiering, the recording, where to get those valuable items, how to develop your audience, and all those things. Log on, auctionhelp.com. We're here to help with your next Next auction. Credit card debt has squeezed the fun out of your life. Are you ready to file bankruptcy? Wait. Make one more phone call first to Credit Partnership. Our licensed attorneys offer a unique debt relief solution called debt reduction. You can get out of debt in two to three years or less. Credit counseling and consolidation loans are no solution. They only rearrange your debt, which may lower your interest rate slightly. You'll still wind up paying the entire balance over time. Lots and lots of time. Only debt reduction with Credit Partnership shrinks the principal balance of your debts, not just interest. Your monthly payments will be lower too, so you get immediate relief. Debt reduction has already helped tens of thousands eliminate their debt. And unlike bankruptcy, debt reduction with credit partnership does not become public record. Remember, bankruptcy devastates your credit for 7 to 10 years. Call Credit Partnership instead. 1-800-DEBT-SAVER. Toll free 1-800-DEBT-SAVER or visit us online at creditpartnership.com. Get relief from your debt now with Credit Partnership. Call 1-800-332-8728. 1-800-DEBT Saver. World Talk Radio. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com or you can click on the sponsor this show link on any of the show pages. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking in my office on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but speaking entirely out of my own head and not representing the university in any way. Today, we're going to talk uh, with a, an old friend, Michael Vorenberg. Mike, are you there? Yes. Good. How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you, Gerald? Good, good. Um, Mike, you uh, you and I have 
known each other for a long time since we were graduate students at Harvard University. And that's an important thing because my contract with Civil War Talk Radio, if I had one, would require me to mention Harvard at least once in every show <laughs> to remind our listeners of my august background. So I, I don't know if you get as much mileage out of that as I try to do. Uh, yes, it can sometimes cut both ways uh, when one looks at uh, certain things coming out of that university in the past year or so. Uh, that's true. There are there are different uh, reflections. Uh, a, a good point. Well, uh, I was thinking uh, what I'd like to do would be to spend the entire hour discussing the uh, basketball games we used to participate in at uh, Friday mornings uh, on campus with the other graduate students, uh, which I, I cherish as one of my fond memories of uh, graduate education. I tried to play last week at the gym here at East Carolina, and just got in my. I, I took my daughter and a friend of hers to the gym, and I ended up getting in a, a pickup game while they were playing racquetball by their own rules somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you play much anymore? I don't, and uh, I wish I did. But age has has been catching up to me. And uh, well, that, that, that's. I'm here to tell you, don't try it. <laughs> yes. No, well, I, 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 I got feel... run into the ground, and the worst part is the players were nice to me. They were very kind, like old oh, grandpa fell down. You know, yes. They, that's in a way worse than than not playing at all. It really is. Uh, that makes me feel better. Yeah, but I'm yeah. sure that you would still use your body well to keep me away from rebounds. And That's all I was block, doing was block many of my people. shots as you once did. That was that was the whole purpose. Well, as much as I would like to do this, uh, our listeners, uh, those who have stuck through this part, uh, want to hear more about the past, uh, the distant past, than, than your past and mine. So I thought we would talk uh, about your your fascinating book, Final Freedom, uh, which is the story of the 13th Amendment. When I started reading it, the first thing that grabbed me was your uh, initial assertion about the Emancipation Proclamation, which you say, as many others have said, that the proclamation didn't actually free a single slave. Do you, yes. do you hold by that? I think I would have... Um, I would write it differently if I were to write that book again. Part of it was to look for a hook, uh, as one often does in a first sentence. And uh, a lot of this has to do with causality. That is to say, while the proclamation, at the very moment it was issued, uh, had not the power to free any single slave, and therefore the statement is true in a technical sense, the proclamation did cause emancipation uh, of many slaves, one could even argue of all the slaves, uh, in ways that are, were sort of too complicated to spell out in that first sentence. Um, just to give one example, news of the proclamation spread uh, among the slaves themselves uh, even before the final proclamation of January 1st, 1863, uh, the preliminary proclamation came 100 days before that, in September of 1862. And with news of the proclamation, that almost certainly, although it's very hard to prove or talk about exact numbers, but that almost certainly accelerated a process that had already been going on where slaves, um, in a sense, liberated themselves by moving into Union lines uh, and in so doing, 
they became free by the contraband uh, policy, by the confiscation policies of the Congress. And in that way, of course, that's just one way I could go into others. The proclamation did free slaves. So I, I, I wish I had not uh, stated it so categorically. Uh, I should also say that since the publication of my book, Alan Guelza's very fine book on the Emancipation Proclamation has come out, which gives that document its due. And it's really quite a remarkable thing that no major monograph on that proclamation had come out since John Hope Franklin's book uh, more than 30 years ago. Uh, a very good book, but, but not nearly as full and detailed as Alan Guelza's uh, book. That is remarkable how, how much time elapsed. We're seeing more now about the proclamation, but uh, it is every time somebody says, well, this, this field is worked over, there's nothing more to write about the Civil War era, uh, somebody like Alan sees this huge gap where no one has written anything meaningful in 30 it years. It is. It may be one of these cases where there's such an assumption that there must be a lot of work on the subject that people don't even bother. Uh, and it turns out, well, indeed, more work needs to be done. Absolutely. Well, I, I would agree that, it's, uh, that, that that opening statement uh, does, to me, seem to overstate the case, because you could certainly argue in a legal sense, even though the proclamation is unenforceable, uh, because it only applies where in the states in rebellion where Lincoln's word is not being obeyed, uh, its unenforceability doesn't restrict its legality. Uh, if you make a law against uh, some sort of crime that, that is rampant, uh, you may not be able to enforce it right away, but it's still a law, and, and the crime is still illegal. Right. So in that sense, it does free slaves. But the bigger point that it, that it was not enforceable or did not take immediate effect is certainly well taken. Right. And this, this I would just say is, and I say it in the book as well, it is more than just a technical point in that Lincoln himself uh, and many other uh, politicians, certainly those trained in the law, understood and dwelled on this technicality. Uh, Lincoln was very concerned about it. That's why at various moments after the proclamation was issued, he said that the proclamation lacked a uh, certain constitutionality, that it could be overturned by Congress after the war, let's say, or it could be rescinded um, by a president if, if some president were elected in 1864 that was not Lincoln. So that this is not just uh, someone in, in the 21st century thinking back on a, a legal technicality. This was actually an issue that the politicians themselves at the time and, and others, legal thinkers, um, African-Americans, uh, white abolitionists, would thought about quite a bit. So they're aware of how, how fragile, in a legal sense, the proclamation really is. Yes, they are. And this gets us on the track of the 13th Amendment, which starts up, uh, and I, this I, I think is one of the surprising things you, you argue, is not, as we normally conceive it, just, uh, well, that's the next step. Uh, now we've got the, the proclamation, now the uh, Lincoln and the Republican Party will immediately get behind an amendment to make this final. Uh, it's a much more confusing and, and, and uh, what do I want to say, complicated story as to where this amendment comes from, and it comes from some unexpected places. Uh, yeah. how, how, does the amend, how does the idea for an amendment get started? Uh, the precise moment is hard to track down. Um, I should say by way of 
preface, and this is also a point I develop more fully in the book, if you think about today and the politics of the Constitution today, we live in an era when it's common to hear people propose constitutional amendments, even amendments that don't have a chance of passing. Um, thus, on the most controversial issues of today, uh, whether it be election reform, abortion, gun control, you have amendments proposed on on both sides or many sides of an issue. Um, of course, we haven't seen an amendment like that pass for some years. It was very different um, up until... 1861, uh, that is, very few amendments were proposed, and those that were proposed were really on narrow procedural issues, uh, not on major reform issues such as slavery. Uh, so, for example, you don't get a major, you don't get really, you don't get proposals for the, uh, for temperance or uh, for the abolition of polygamy, which was a real concern to many reformers. Uh, in the 1850s uh, who were concerned about Mormons. You, don't, you have all these proposals working themselves at the state level or at the level of statute, but not an amendment. So people didn't immediately go to the amendment as a solution, even when it was uh, the case that a Supreme Court decision went against the reformers' purposes, which is what exactly what the Dred Scott decision of 1857 did. Today, the answer to a Supreme Court decision that is disliked is, is either to uh, obviously replace personnel on the court or more immediately to propose a constitutional amendment. And uh, that, is, that was simply not the custom back then. Well, you think of it, uh, the, the, the Constitution had only been amended 12 times, but more accurately, only twice, because the Bill of Rights is, is a package. Right. The Bill of Rights is a package. The 11th and 12th happened. Um, soon after the Bill of Rights, so that the Constitution had not been amended formally, that is, by, by an actual amendment, uh, for 60 years, basically, or almost 60 years. And uh, that's not to say the Constitution hadn't changed. It had changed quite a bit because of practice, because of Supreme Court decisions and the like. But there was no formal amendment. The uh, I should and also mention, by way of preface, that one opening of the floodgates happens during the secession crisis, um, where a number of amendments are proposed to try to stave off the Civil War, or at least to uh, pacify the seceding states, or the border states that have not yet seceded, uh, by promising, well, many, many different types of amendments are proposed, and one actually passes this is an amendment that says that uh, there shall be no interference with slavery where it exists. Lincoln actually endorses that amendment in, the, uh, in his first inaugural. That amendment uh, is, in fact, ratified by a, a few states. Uh, it, it never was adopted, of course, and it was, in effect, the first 13th Amendment. Um, you had the phenomenon of the, the unamendable amendment being proposed, didn't you? Yes, that that part of the amendment was that of that first Thirteenth Amendment was that it could not be amended, which for constitutional scholars presents an interesting uh, <laughs> issue. Can can you act, change the Constitution in such a way that it actually can never be changed? And, and it speaks to the desperate quality of the moment of the secession crisis. This the sense that you wanted to offer an olive branch. Um, 
that was that had real meaning. They said, you know, you, you really can hold on to slavery for as long as you want. We promise, and there's nothing anyone will ever be able to do about it. Um, and when in fact it's obvious that, like any promise that you promise not to break, uh, you can break it uh, with the same authority that you had to make it. <laughs> yes, and I think that it's not a not a very meaningful precedent. That is, I don't think we would we're likely to see in the future too many unamendable amendments. Um, anyway, jump. All of these amendments from the secession crisis speak to an effort to preserve the status quo, to say to the South and to everyone that slavery where it exists will be left untouched forever. And sometime in, um, in uh, sometime after the Emancipation Proclamation of January 1st, 1863, uh, in the midst of many proposals to try to make that proclamation permanent, um, emerges the idea of a constitutional amendment. It's one idea of many to make emancipation uh, universal, that is, everywhere, not just in the states specified in the proclamation, and permanent, that is, not just a war measure, but something that is sure to exist forever. One way to do this, for example, is to supplement the Emancipation Proclamation to get rid of the exempted areas. Uh, this was the proposal suggested by Sam and Chase, Lincoln's Secretary of Treasury, for example, early on. Um, another is to pass a law, uh, simply a statute, that says slavery is prohibited. Uh, that alternative was very attractive to abolitionists. Um, simply, you had the Republican majority already in Congress. Uh, they would pass the law, and that would be that. Unfortunately, such a law would have gone against Lincoln's whole, the whole Republican Party stance that, where most of the Republican Party stance that slavery where it existed uh, was constitutional. And so you couldn't therefore abolish slavery, that Congress lacked the power to abolish slavery by statute. Within the states, at least. Within the states, that's right. In the territories, they had already done it in 1862 in Washington, D.C., uh, where they had exclusive jurisdiction. They had done that in 1862. But in the States, it was a different matter. So then, so you have this initial stirrings then about uh, a, a constitutional amendment as a way to, to solve this. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and find out how this amendment starts to take off and uh, some of the, the surprising uh, twists and turns in terms of who supports it and who doesn't. We're talking today with Michael Vorenberg of Brown University about the 13th Amendment on Civil War Talk Radio.